John chapter 15 says this. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servants does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I have commanded you so that you will love one another. I want to talk to you about three points this morning. Point number one, ordering relationships. Uh, Point number two, broken friendships. And point number three, advisors. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for grace and mercy. Lord, we just ask for your help. There's something that you want to say to us. Thank you, God. As we look through lives for friends, we can be confident that if we are redeemed by your blood, we have a friend in Jesus. So, God, would you speak to us out your word? Would you help us to grow in our relationships, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start out with this text in in Matthew chapter 17. Uh, It is actually the text I used to preach uh, my first little message in the Bible study at FAU. And I just love this text because it's, it's, it's so powerful. Here, Jesus takes three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John. He goes up into this exceedingly high mountain, and the Bible says he is transfigured before them. Uh, he, he changes before them, and he becomes as bright as the sun, and his clothes become uh, very white from this brightness. It is an amazing scene. And Peter, James, and John, they are blown away at looking at that scene and seeing what is there. They're just taken aback. And Peter responds, okay, cool, since you did that, let let me build something. Let me build a tent for you and for Moses and for Elijah. But he's quickly corrected. He's quickly corrected by God. And he says... Don't build a tent. The mere fact that you're thinking about building three reveals that you think the three are the same. Elijah and Moses won't bear no cross on Calvary and die for you. Even if they could, they're not righteous enough. Jesus says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. I love that. Here, Jesus is talking to Elijah, which represents all of the prophetic books in the Old Testament. Then he's talking to Moses, which represents the law of the Old Testament. Here we have the law and the prophets together, and they are talking to Jesus. It is as if the law and the prophets are meeting the gospel. It's a powerful scene. I mean, we can just spend the rest of this sermon just unpacking that that, that, that this text, but I got a question that I want to ask that I think is an important question. Here's a question on the table. Why just Peter, James, and John? 
How many did disciples did Jesus have? Ooh, y'all, such a good class this morning. If he had 12 disciples, he only takes Peter, James, John, that means nine other disciples are sitting at the foot of the mountain waiting for them three to come down. This is a legitimate question. Why did he only take the three up the mountain? It's not that he could only fit three people up there on the mountain. It's not like y'all going on a ride somewhere and somebody say, hey, can I ride with you? And you say, hey, I got three seats. I can't take no more than three. That's going to be too tight. No, that's not the case. There's plenty of room on the mountain. As a matter of fact, mountains are important in the book of Matthew. We see in chapter 4, Jesus goes through his, his temptation on a mountain. The Bible says the enemy takes him into this exceedingly high mountains and tempts Jesus there. We also see in Matthew chapter 5 that Jesus feeds 5,000 men, not including women and children, upon a mountain. So easy estimates of that feeding is somewhere uh, at least, at least 15,000 people are up on this mountain. We also know that Jesus would go to the mountain by himself and, and, and get away and pray upon mountains. So mountains are significant in the book of Matthew. Question again on the table, why does he only bring those three, Matthew, James, and John? Here's the answer. Because Jesus has categories. He has boundaries. Peter, James, and John are known as Jesus' inner circle, if you will. When he's about to raise a girl from the dead and he's going into the house, he does it again. He leaves the other nine disciples outside and he takes in the room only these three, Peter, James, and John. When he is praying and he's about to give his life in, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he asks Peter, James, and John to continue with him so that he can pray. Jesus was, was, was very close to these three in a way that's different from the other nine. It is not to say that the other nine were not important. They were just not as close to Jesus as these three were. And what's important for us to understand about this is that if Jesus has boundaries or categories as it relates to people and the relationships in his life, as we talk through friendships, you need to have some boundaries and some categories too. We know that Jesus talked to crowds. We see this in Matthew chapter 14. He's, he's feeding 15,000 people. It is a, it is a block, it, it is a block party he's doing on this mountain. It is, a, it is an outreach that he's having on this mountain. And he's feeding all these people on this mountain. That's the crowd, y'all. Then he has 120 that are following him. And then in John chapter 6, these 120 that are following Jesus all of a sudden decide to stop following Jesus because the teaching that Jesus was giving got hard. And 120 people leave Jesus' ministry. Which helps me know, as I think the relationship, there will be people that just leave you. Comes with the territory, get used to it. I don't know what else to say. 
Then we see there are 70 disciples that he has in Luke chapter 10. These 70 he gives authority to. He says, go out and, 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 and heal and speak the truth and, and preach the kingdom over there in Luke chapter 10. And these 70, he, he gives authority to them to do this. And these 70 people go out and do it. They come back rejoicing. Wow, the demons are subject to us. Jesus says, don't rejoice that the demons are subject to you. Rejoice that your name has been written in the Lamb Book of Life. In other words, what your, your, your salvation is always more of a priority than your gifting. He says to these 70, go out, and they go out and do it. We can assume maybe these 70 continue, but they don't continue with Jesus in the same way that the 12 do. Do you see that? And then lastly, he has these 12 disciples that Jesus calls by name. We know their names because Jesus tells us. And then he has his three. Here's a question on the table. If Jesus has these categories of people that are following him, and he loves them, he loves them all, but he doesn't treat them all the same. What kind of categories do you need? In other words, who's the crowd? Let's talk about crowds first. Who are the crowds in your life? Uh, me personally, I probably have, I think, somewhere around 1,000 people on Facebook. I don't know how many people follow me on Instagram. I, I don't know that information. I don't count it. I'm not every day checking how many, how many do I have. How do I get that up? That's just not what I'm doing. But Jesus, he is there with the crowd. He serves the crowd. He teaches the crowd. But he does not give all of himself to the crowd. There's another place in Scripture where Jesus is talking to, 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 to people and he's doing ministry. And the Bible says he did not entrust himself to them because he knew what was in their hearts. The story of the rich young ruler that comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and Jesus says, go sell all you have and give to the poor and then come follow me and be my disciple. And the Bible says that, that Jesus loved this guy. The Bible says because he had much possessions, he just left and walked away. There are levels to our investment that we need to be aware of as we go through this life. And listen, if the crowds that Jesus had is anywhere similar to the crowds that we have on social media, please understand that is a vehicle, not a, a mechanism by which you are encouraged and built up yourself. Some of us look to social media to feed us in a way that it was never designed to feed us. You need real relationship with people that, that, that can spend real time with you, not just the people that interact with you on social media. If that is your crowd, 15,000, then maybe what's your 120? What's your people that you are marching with, doing life with? Praise God for that. That would be something like your associates. These could be people that you work with. These could be coworkers. These could be people that you grew up with in high school. They are, they are close to you, but they're not really that close to you. These are just people that you rub shoulders with. 
And to those people, whoever your associates would be, or another word we could use for this is whatever, whoever your allies are, you should be authentic with them, but not transparent. People should earn your transparency. You shouldn't look to them to be everything to you and meet all of your needs. A lot of these relationships are one-sided. You give to them and you give to them and you don't necessarily receive back from them. Amen? And then lastly, you have, or second to lastly, you have your assignments. These are people that God has called you to pour into, to possibly disciple, to, to share with. These are people I'm hoping that you are engaging with the gospel with. And man, what could happen out of a discipleship relationship is absolutely amazing. I've had friendships, deep friendships that have emerged that started off in a discipleship relationship, started off as someone that I just wanted to uh, uh, speak God's word to so they would come closer to him. And then it blossomed into a friendship. But assignments oftentimes are one-sided. It's you giving in to them. And then lastly, we have friends. And this could be Jesus' 12 disciples, or these could be Jesus' three friends. Old school song says, friends, how many of us have them? Let's be friends. Ones you can depend on, let's be friends. Do you have friends? Don't raise your hand. This life is challenging enough to go through this life all alone. Do you have friends? These are people in which you have deep, robust relationship with. These are people that know the real you. These are people that you can be transparent with. These are people that you serve and give your time and your energy to, and they serve and give their time and energy to you. This is a two-sided relationship. Do you have friends? Some of us have made up in our mind, you said, you know what, Um, because certain things have happened, I don't really need friends like that. Or if you're in a relationship and you're married or whatever, you'll say, you know what, my husband is my friend and my wife is my friend. And that is true and that is real. And you also need friends. You need friends that you don't necessarily um, are, are, are married to or decide to spend your life with. You need, you need real friends. So how do we navigate and get friendship? What does friendship look like? How do I know whether someone is a friend or not? Let's go to point two. Let's talk about navigating friendships. Jesus says in John chapter 15, he gives us a picture of what friendship looks like. Verse 12 says, this is my commandment that I love, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has this, no one, that he lay down his life for a friend. Here's what we learn about friendship right up front. Friendship is sacrificial. If you're going to have real friends, it doesn't just 
happen. It doesn't just show up and you have this great friendship. I went to North Carolina this week, and uh, I'm going to be joining a cohort in North Carolina, and uh, I was deciding whether I was going to join it or not. Just seven years in ministry and, and always looking to be strengthened and equipped and poured into, and so I was thinking about joining this cohort, and when the cohort started, I was like, eh, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to join this. And then another part of the cohort was these pastors who had just finished this two-year cohort. And they were coming up there and they were sharing their stories of, of what happened to them as they went through this cohort and, and what God had done in this cohort and truths that came out of it and how they have, have a better understanding of themselves and how their ministries are stronger because of this cohort and their relationships are more defined and healthy because of this cohort. And then they said, and, and really what's amazing that came out of this is we're all really good friends. You can go through this life and not have any significant real friendship. And that is a, that is a hard, hard thing to endure. Studies would prove me out. There was just a study done in, I believe, 2018 that showed 43% uh, of people ages 18 to 37 are experiencing loneliness. They are calling loneliness a relational epidemic. People don't have real friendships, and social media is not necessarily helping this out, but when we come to Scripture to see what Jesus says about friendship, here's what he said, friendship is sacrificial. Friendship is hard. Friendship takes work. Friendship requires energy. This is not a Disney movie. If you're going to have the kind of friendship you need from others, it's going to require your strength and energy. Amen? Secondly, friendship is reciprocal. This is verse 14 through 15. Jesus says this, You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for servants does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. This is amazing. But it sounds like manipulation, doesn't it? Jesus says, all right, you're my friends, if conditional, you do what I tell you. Now, that sounds like a seventh grade relationship, and this kid is making the other kid bring him candy every day from school or from home. Or this sounds like this coworker manipulating you to do their work for them. Jesus says, I'll be your friend if you do what I say. And it would be manipulation, but the only problem is it's Jesus that's saying it. So you know Jesus is not trying to ma manipulate us. And if he's not trying to manipulate us, then what is he doing? Jesus is helping us understand that the way you blossom in your friendship with Jesus and you blossom in your friendship with others is you reciprocate the love that you receive. And when Jesus says, do what I command you, here's what Jesus is saying. Your best life in your journey with Jesus is going to be a life where you are obeying what Jesus says. Why? Because that's the best thing for you. 
When Jesus says that he wants you to love your enemies, he's not saying, hey, if you don't love your enemies, we won't be friends. He's saying the best thing you can do with your life is love your enemies. When he calls us to a life of purity, why is he calling us to that? Is he just trying to be a a, a dictator? No, he's saying the way that you're going to blossom best in this life is by living a life of purity because I'm the one that made life and designed it. Friendship is reciprocal. Jesus says, you are my friends. If you do what I command you, then verse 15 says this, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I call you friends. What a concept for Jesus to call us friends. For all that I have from the Father, I have made known to you. Jesus is telling us stuff, not like some servants or some do boys or some do girls. He's telling us stuff and revealing to us what the Father has given to him. Look at the vulnerability of Jesus in his friendships with us, which helps us understand. I can't have significant relationships with people when I refuse to be vulnerable. Some of us, what hinders us from having significant relationships is we won't open up. We have said things like, you're not going to hurt me again. I've tried this friendship thing and it doesn't work. It's a waste of time. Some of us have bought into the lie of that movie. I could do bad all by myself. I could live this life by myself. You can't. You're not designed to. And when we try to do it, research would tell us that we are 33% more susceptible to death if we live lives in isolation. The research is showing us that a person that lives lives in isolation has the same likelihood of dying early as a person that smokes 15 cigarettes a day. It's powerful when research echoes what Jesus said 2,000 years ago. You can't live by yourself. You can't live in isolation. And if you're going to have significant friendships, you're going to have to be vulnerable. And Jesus models this to us time and time again. Here's one of the ways he modeled this to us. Look who he picked as his friends. He picked people that he would have to correct all the time, challenge all the time, teach over and over again. And even one of them was going to betray him. And he knew it. And he still picked them. Now, give me a a prophetic word about someone on my team, my leadership team. Rodney, they're going to split the church in three years from now. Y'all would say this, hey, what happened to so-and-so? We don't see him anymore. Yeah, some stuff had happened. I don't know. He just had to go. I don't know. One day he was in, next day he was gone. I Listen, I wouldn't bring close. This is just me talking. The one that I know is going to hurt me. But Jesus is so confident in who he is and what his mission is that he's vulnerable even to the one that will betray him and to the other 11 who would leave him in his moment of crisis. 
He's vulnerable. Just because one friend hurt you doesn't mean the next one will. Jesus says, all that the Father has told me, I've made known to you. I love this. Jesus, with his friends, he shares intimate things. I love it. A good, friend sh- a good friend, you just go over the house, sit on the couch, and all the filters can go away. You can say stupid stuff and it'd be okay because that's your friend. You can say things that are not politically correct and it'd be okay because that's your friend. And your friend has the ability to listen to what you say. Filter your foolishness. Give you space to vent. And then graciously speak truth to your heart in the way that you need it. Friends are valuable people. And many of us have no friends, so we vent to the crowd. We go on social media and we just hit and hit and type and type and you got to get it out. and You're not going to read it over before you post it. You're just going to send it to the crowd. Why? Because we have no legitimate friends. Or we go to the people that we're supposed to be discipling or training or equipping and we just let stuff. I got to get this off my chest. You got to get that to a friend. Jesus says, all that the Father has made known to me, I've, uh, I've, I've given to you. Friends are known and friends know. Friends know the challenges, the deep, dark challenges of your heart. Heard about a group of guys this week. They were linking up and they asked some real confrontational type questions. And what can come out of that kind of vulnerability is another step in the process of moving from someone that's just an associate to someone that's a friend. Friends serve one another, not out of duty. Oh, I got to do this. Well, you gave me a gift, so I got to give you a gift. We're friends. Hey, can I have a ride? Because remember that time I gave you a ride? That's, that's a contract. Friends are not asking, well, how many times did I do it for you? Friends are just giving. It's, uh, it's not a reaction of duty. It's not contractual. It's out of affection of the heart. Friends, friends give. Friends give. Also, friends promote other friends. I love this. Jesus says, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I love it. I didn't choose my brothers and sisters and my mother and my father, but I get to choose my friends. Somebody say, I got a choice. You got a choice. You can choose. And you can choose not to choose. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you that you should go and bear much fruit. I love this. Jesus is saying, I chose you, and I want you to bear much fruit, and I want your fruit to remain. Check this out. Friends want you to win. Friends, when you tell them, I was talking um, 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 to Val, and she had some really good news, and she came and said, hey, guess what? I got this good news. I'm like, yo, that's what's up. 
that's I'm not saying, well, 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 my promotion coming soon or my stuff coming soon. Just wait and see. And well, that's not the that's a competition. If when I tell you about good news, you gotta match my good news with your good news, that's a competition. Friends just give you the spotlight and let you sit in it and marinate in the spotlight of your day. See, this is why we need categories. Because maybe there are people that you swear are your friends that are really your associates. And maybe you need to search again for a friend. Friends, I was reading a book by, I believe, Dr. Darius Daniels. He says, friends happen in stages, not states. In other words, he's saying sometimes friends could be a friend in this season, but then in the next season, they're not a friend. And then sometimes friends cannot be a friend in this season, but then in this season, they become friends. Friends are fluid. Stages are fluid. It's important that you know. Can I just, just real practical this morning, not deep, not, not necessarily doctrinal, but practical and helpful. You need to know where folks are in your life. Now, please don't do this. Don't go out to nobody this week and say, you know what? I need to be honest. No, the Lord just put this on my heart. I need to share this with you. We were friends, but after Sunday, you shift the category. I'm sorry. You're now in a cell. Don't do that. Don't, don't. You won't have no friends. You do that. You ain't never going to get to buy your friend category doing that. This is not for them. This is for you. It's for you to know. And we love everyone, right? We love everyone. We are, the Bible says to show yourself friendly. We should show ourselves friendly to everyone. But we also should operate with wisdom and discernment. Amen. Friends want you to win. Third point. Third point. I'm going to call this broken friendships. For the note takers, it said advisors on the screen. Scratch that off. Point three. Broken friendships. Now, some of y'all are saying, okay, cool. Rodney, friendships, got it. Got it. Got what they are. Heard what Jesus says. Sacrificial. Got it. Friendships, you know, friends want you to win. I got this. Friendship is reciprocal. It's give and take, not just take and take and take and take and take. But I don't have that. Or right now, I used to have it, and I don't have that anymore. So that idea of talking about friends, that's cute. But that doesn't work for me. Can I tell you, number one, you really need friends. Number two, there are no perfect ones. So you'll never find a friend like Jesus is a friend to you. All friendships are messy and broken. All friendships would disappoint us and let us down. Why? It's because of the sin that's in us. 
the fact that we live in a broken world. So if you are now hearing this and saying, man, this is, this is hard because, Rodney, I want what you said. I, I, I just don't know how to get that. One, don't raise your bar so high that only Jesus can be your friend. Some of us, we have unrealistic expectations of who we want our friends to be, and they got to be this, and they got to be that, and they got to do this for you. And, they, and if I call them one time and they don't show up, then they can't be on. That's not even, that's not even you. You ain't that faithful to you. We got we to gotta do friendship with Grace. We got to do friendship with forgiveness. We got to do friendship with hope. Why? Because friendship is hard. Some of us, one of the guys in our cohort this week, uh, one of the guys in our cohort this week, he said, uh, he said, Doc, I got a question. Okay, what's your question? He said, I had a group of pastors. It was, it was three of us or so. And he said, um, we were all very good friends for 13 years. We started our churches together. We came up together 13 years. We met once a month. We're eating. We're doing lunch. We're sharing life. We're being vulnerable. We're fr- and all of a sudden, this, this group, it just dispersed. And he asked the guy, what do I do when my friends leave? Some of us this morning, we've had friendships that have ended. I have had friendships that have ended. It is one of the most agonizing things of the human soul. When you shared things with people and then the friendship is there, whether it's death or whether it's distance, maybe they moved away, or whether it's, it's just something has come in and have broken the friendship to see a friendship dissolve is hard stuff to see. I mean, if you really had a friend, I'm talking about a social, you had a friend that, that, that something happened and now it's not there, that's hard stuff. Particularly, I'm talking to my brothers for two seconds. Sometimes we don't want to admit that a broken friendship hurt us. Listen, brothers, come here. A broken friendship will leave you weeping. Broken friendships hurt. And I love the response of, of, of Doc to him. He said, listen, he said, listen, the first thing you got to do is you got to grieve the loss. I bet everybody in the room was waiting for some nice, quick, clever thing to get through this. He wanted to say, well, I'm just going to keep on marching. Let's say stuff like, well, you didn't need them anyway. Or you know what, you, you, you better without them. Doc said, Grieve. Mourn your loss of a friend. Rodney, okay, how do, I, how do I mourn a loss of a friend? First, let me tell you what you do if you don't. If you don't, you're just going to move to another friendship, but carry into that new friendship all of the hurt and baggage from the old. We do this in relationships, too. But that's next week. You'll just carry all the old stuff into that, that, that new relationship. And instead of you coming in nice and clean, you're going to look at that new relationship with this edge of skepticism. I don't know if they're really a friend. Some of us have been hurt so many times. We'll say, okay, you want to be my friend? Cool. Let's see how long this lasts. And you never truly 
become vulnerable enough to get to a place of transparency that helps birth and mature friendship. Because you need to mourn the last one. Rodney, how do you mourn the last friendship? Three things. Y'all know me. (laughs) Number one, celebrate what was beautiful. Celebrate what you loved. If y'all had good times together, celebrate that. If y'all used to do dumb stuff in college or in high school, celebrate that. If y'all got y'all first job together and grew in your career, celebrate what the, the person is not that bad if they were your friend for that long. Celebrate what you love. Celebrate what you appreciate about them. Number two, admit where you were wrong. This is, this is processing. Admit where you dropped the ball. Well, Rodney, I didn't drop the ball. Let me tell you the story. You dropped the ball. Somewhere. I don't know where. I wasn't there. But you mean you ain't do nothing wrong in the real life? That means you Jesus. You got issues too. You inconsistent too. You rude too. But you call your rudeness a bad day. You admit where you were wrong. You were wrong. You said you were going to come and you didn't. You were wrong. And then lastly, let's go back to a couple weeks ago. You got to forgive the offense. You got to forgive what that person did to you, whatever it is. Whatever caused a friendship to end, you need to forgive that. Why? So you can move forward. I got a quote and I'm done. I love what C.S. Lewis says about this. I believe in his book, The Four Loves, C.S. Lewis says. Friendship then, like the other natural love, is unable to save himself. He's talking about friendship. It must, watch this, invoke the divine protection if it hopes to remain sweet. As Christians, we know that there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Our best friends point us to our true friends. Let's go back on the mountain. Peter, James, and John, they ascend up the mountain. They're there with Jesus, and he sees him transfigure right before them, and he starts talking about these tents. God has to come down in in the form of a cloud, and he speaks to them and says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then as a cloud lifts, and their terror subsides. Jesus comes to them, touches them, and says, do not be afraid. The Bible says when they looked up, they saw no one save Jesus. That's King Jimmy. They saw no one except Jesus. You can't get the horizontal right if you won't get the vertical right. One of the things that calls you to continue to be hopeful about friends and pursuing friends and to be vulnerable towards friends and sacrificial towards friends, one of the things that drive that is you have this picture of no one else save Jesus. And because Jesus is a friend that laid down everything for me, it gives me fuel to re-engage with friends. Some of y'all got friends that are friends, but you just don't call them friends anymore. 
And I think one of the works that the Holy Spirit will do today is call you to re-engage with that friend. 